podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Anfield Wrap, supported by Redsbet. Redsbet's tailor-made for Liverpool supporters. It's an online gaming platform which seeks to build long-standing partnerships with supporters that enable them to share 50% of net profits generated from bets to be used specifically for fan causes and other initiatives that matter with supporters. So on with the show. It is the Anfield Wrap after Liverpool go to Stamford Bridge, get beat by one goal to nil by Chelsea. Uh, with me, I've got Adam Smith. I'm Neil Atkinson, by the way. Adam Smith, Mel Reddy, Stu Wright and Philippa Smallwood on this Bank Holiday Monday come in, especially to talk to you people. It's a lovely sunny day as well. and We've got them in our cave of a studio, uh, though it is nice and cool in here, I suppose. Um, it's a performance that's frustrating, a result that's certainly frustrating. It means Liverpool go to the last game in order to confirm Champions League qualification. We'll have a chat about Champions League qualification in general and how it's been managed by Liverpool over the last three or four weeks. In a little while, we will also uh, look ahead to that game against Brighton and, and everything that is riding on it. We'll also be chatting in a tiny little way because I think it's going to come up in matters arising about what sort of players Liverpool should be looking to recruit across the course of the summer. But we're going to focus in on that performance. And Adam, it's it's a goal that comes against the run of play, but it's a goal that you immediately can sense the steepness of the hill Liverpool need to carry. I think carry. Uh, you need to climb uh, at that stage. I think you could. It's a strange thing in that I'm sort of thinking we we should be going. But two minutes before they score, I'm thinking we should be going in a one nil up. As soon as they score, I'm thinking I'd be glad just to go in at one nil. And that is that is the power of maybe it's the power of having you know gone to Chelsea since 2002. To be honest with you, Stamford Bridge is no battle of laughs, but it was hard to see a way back for the minute they get ahead. I thought we were probably the better team for the first half an hour, and I was watching, thinking Chelsea aren't getting anywhere near this. Like they're just they're just quite happily putting essentially ten men behind the ball and letting us pass it around and and probe and look for an opening, uh, and they're not getting anywhere near it. And we look we look all right, you know. I thought I thought we'd look a lot more tired in the opening stages of the game than we did. I think as soon as the goal goes in, the legs feel really, really heavy. I think because they just think, I, I, because because as good as we were playing, nothing was really clicking in the final third. And I think as soon as the goal goes in, everybody realises how difficult it's going to be to get a goal past the Conte team when you're knackered. That's what it felt like. That, it, that there was it was a psychological blow as much as it was a blow on the scoreboard. I thought. I think that's possibly fair, Mel. It, it certainly made it made the the period from from the goal up until half time be one of let's just get out with this. But I do think it was it was just that the way in which it was it was against the run of play, what it then invited Chelsea to do, it was it was quite a hammer blow. Yeah, I think Liverpool knew that first goal goes in. I think there's disappointment at allowing Moses to cross, at uh, you know giving Giroud space in between both centre backs to attack the ball when he's so good in the air. I don't think anyone scored more headed goals than him. Uh, since he's come to the Premier League and I mean he does that against Liverpool so often Um, so I think there was disappointment around that that, and the fact that it was already hard enough to create as it was um, at 0-0 and with Chelsea having that lead they were always going to be very very happy to sit soak and you know look for any other mistakes they could pounce on or look to break through Hazard it just suited them so much better when the goal goes in. And I think as m- in those type of games, you know, against deep defensive sides, so much of it is, is freshness of mind as it is legs because you're going to have to continuously solve the puzzle of how to break them down. And I mean, this is not just any side that's, you know, defending deep. It is a very, very well-drilled, very good Chelsea side that's doing it. A Chelsea side that are fighting against all odds to be... I mean, a month ago, they were absolutely 
dead in the battle for Champions League football, uh, a much fresher side. And I know Jurgen Klopp said they didn't look that way. And I think that was part, he was, you know, giving credit to the way Liverpool performed despite having Champions League exertions. But the fact is, Chelsea could, a lot more than Liverpool could do yesterday, could play within themselves and you know, look to change the tempo whenever they could, look to bring reinforcements wherever they could, where Liverpool were a lot more limited in that regard. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I broadly, I actually broadly disagree with, with the notion that it was against the run of play. I felt that there were, although we had some opportunities on the break, notably through Mane, I felt there were some warning signs there very, very early on. Uh, to be honest, as soon as they, the team sheet dropped, which I... I Conte did what I expected him to do in the last couple of occasions he's played Liverpool he's he's moved from his favourite 3-4-3 to a 3-5-2 and he seems to have worked out that um, if if they sit deep as they they often do Chelsea but if they absolutely overload the central areas defensively um, that they, they can crowd Liverpool out in central areas um, you know their three against our three midfield is is then uh, added supplemented by the three central defenders. And if you no- notice, those six players swarmed all over our central areas whenever we got into their final third. I mean, they were lightning quick into getting to those positions. They were extremely well drilled in that, and we saw that in the last game as well. At Chelsea uh, played Liverpool, so I think that's Conte's preferred move now against us. And then there's a so there's a reliance then of of us actually trying to get into the wide areas and exposing them there. Um, and, you know, Salah, Salah and Mane um, are not necessarily going to do that as much these days. They're, they're obviously moving in to support um, Firmino. And the, 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 the change to bring Klein in, which I think... I think everyone probably expected and no one really had too many arguments with actually was exposed on the day um, because for the most part I felt that Robertson and Klein sat behind the ball um, and therefore Chelsea's game plan we had no answer to it the only way we were actually going to break them down was to, to have our fullbacks really press and really um, pushing Moses and Alonso back which we seemed very very wary to do um, so when the goal came the way it did you're absolutely right Neil then it felt like a mountain to climb because we were going to have to then change the game plan somewhat and we didn't really see that until uh, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here but we didn't really see that until the, the, the change for he- with Henderson in the second half and Trent going wide and then we saw a little bit more joy um, so for them to score so early on I, I felt like there was about I don't know, 40, 50 minutes in the game where it felt like it was almost wasted time. It felt like I just couldn't see us us breaking them down from that point. I think I think Conte, I'll be glad actually to see the back of him in, in many respects, largely because I do think that he's learned from his initial games against Klopp, against Klopp's Liverpool. I, I do think that there's... Um, he, you know, he's made tactical innovations there that 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 work well against us. Um, so yeah, be glad to see the back. And we've seen we've seen patterns like that before, where teams think that they can sit back deep against us, and, and that's the answer to all the problems. And it's not always. But actually, if you sit deep, if you 
absolutely crowd us out centrally, force us wide. It definitely limits our options. It doesn't necessarily completely nullify us, but it definitely limits our options. And then you, you combine that with the, the idea of you know Salah not necessarily at his sharpest, not necessarily at his best, um, and some of the passing there and through the midfield wasn't quite what it you know we'd like it to be. Um, so yeah, I, 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 but that's in the context of of what comes before. That's in the context of. The Roma game, the context of playing the the quarterfinals against City as well before that, and the the league games in between, needing to secure qualification. Of course, top four. Of course, and I've heard a lot recently about options. context, and I actually agree. And I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of uh, people going at each other on Twitter of saying, you know, you've got a camp who are putting everything into the context, and with the Champions League final still in our hands, and you've got a camp who are saying actually we we've we've blown opportunities over the last few weeks. I sit somewhere in the middle. I think there's there's two them both regardless of the context regardless of the context I think that um, Conte's tactical move is a good one against us yeah. the context comes in really in terms of how sharp we are actually in being able to overcome that exactly you know which is you know I think 100% it is the right move to implement against Liverpool but how well it succeeds depends on Liverpool themselves and this is a Liverpool side that over the last few weeks have absolutely you know thrown themselves into a European campaign which you know rightly so because we're now in a final that we all get to enjoy but I think and I've seen a lot of people saying Liverpool don't have many injuries, and that's true. It's not like we've got eight, nine, but I think the issue is who rather than the how many, and and that's what limits Liverpool so heavily at this stage. The issue is, Philip, when I was watching it, Liverpool have lost, I would say, <clears throat> to injury all three of their link midfielders. Yep. So they've lost Oxlade-Chamberlain, Lallana, and to a certain extent, Chan. And what they've actually done there as well is they've had to sort of shift. For instance, for this game, Henderson doesn't start when Alton starts deeper. He can be a bit of a link midfielder, but not, not not as good as the aforementioned injured players. And I think that's what you were looking at all the way through the game was was that Liverpool were... The, the, the defenders were broadly speaking defending, the midfielders were broadly speaking midfielding, and the attackers were broadly speaking attacking. Mm. And there wasn't, there wasn't that much fluidity on show, which is partially about sharpness, partially about context, but it's also literally partially about the personnel. I totally agree with that. I think we were heavily reliant on basically the front three to create anything for themselves yesterday. Um, and it, it is a worry for me. It's a worry for me going to Kiev, even if, you know, to me, uh, one of our most influential midfielders has been Oxlade Chamberlain. And I think he's been a big miss these last few games. Um <laughs> I'm hoping that Lallana can get somewhere near to match fitness. So even if he, you know, you wouldn't have him starting the games, but maybe to come on and, and give us a little bit of something if it's needed. And we just haven't had that at the moment. And I think that's partially why uh, Trent played in midfield yesterday, because I think he was probably the one that was the most likely to create something. Mm. Um but it's it's really difficult asking a you know a nineteen year old kid to go and play in midfield in a position that he's not played in apart from against Stoke last week, um, and to take on that enormous responsibility against a team like Chelsea, and I find him quite frustrating. Trent, you know he he when he's at his best, he's absolutely unbelievable, and I think he's he's potentially going to be the best right back that I'm going to have witnessed playing for Liverpool. But when he's bad, he is so bad that you just feel like he, you're playing 
almost with the other team having an extra man. It's not even that we're playing without a man, it's like the other team playing with an extra man. And I really felt for him yesterday. I think that Klopp made the right decision to take off Klein because I think he was massively struggling as well. Robertson even um, probably had his poorest game since the first few that he had with us. Um, I, think, I think Moses had a really good game against Robertson. It, Mo- yeah. Moses had a really, really good game. And, I, you know, it, it's one of those, you, you, you know, you look at these players and you go, Moses, you know, he's not brilliant, is he? You know, he's somebody who maybe if Liverpool was linked with signing him, you wouldn't be going, oh, great, we're getting Moses in. But he's a really good option. And if you had those sorts of players able to come in, you'd, you'd be rubbing your hands together. And I think it's a fair point about the injuries. I think it really has decimated the strength of the squad and just being able to take players out, freshen them up and bring somebody else in to do a similar role to what they've been doing. And it's something that we've just not got the ability to do at the moment. What strikes me is, Adam, and I think you saw it with almost everyone who's who's either new into the side or has to do something a little bit unfamiliar yesterday. I think Alexander-Arnold's obviously shown he's more than good enough. Uh, Nathaniel Klein throughout his Liverpool career has demonstrated he's more than good enough. Um, I think you can you know, you know can make the point that Wijnaldum is more than good enough to be a squad player for Liverpool. But all of them being asked to do something a little bit unfamiliar when all the bits of the side aren't quite clicking as well. It led everyone, I think, everyone just looked at different, you know, you could take up, you could probably get five minutes of everybody's performance yesterday, um, including Virgil van Dijk, five minutes of everyone's performance yesterday and be able to demonstrate that things weren't quite right. And, you know, I think that it's one thing for things to not be quite right for, for, for players who are in their established position, but that then makes it so much harder to have to shift yeah. position, do something a little bit different and get thrown in. Definitely. And I think, I think the really important thing is... As Mel was saying before, football doesn't exist in a vacuum. That match doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the context of everything else that's going on around it. And all that these lads have had to put in, get into the Champions League final, which is a huge achievement and should be celebrated and should be applauded. But they're absolutely knackered. And the ones that aren't knackered are perhaps exactly like you say, doing something that they're not being asked of. And I think when you, when players get tired... The two extremes that perhaps suffer the most for tiredness are those that are quite young and those that are a bit older. And and I think the two players that, that stood out for me as really stinking the place out were Trent and Milner. Milner couldn't get a pass. He couldn't put a pass. He couldn't find anyone in a red shirt time and time and time again yesterday. And he's been unbelievable lately. So I think that tells you just what's been put in to getting this team to where it is right now. And then you chuck into the fact that Trent's in midfield and, and I, d- I didn't think it worked against Stoke and I definitely don't think it worked yesterday. So then you've got him, you know, also tired and playing in a role, like you say, that's not new to him. And then he's not getting much help from Nathaniel Klein because he's also knackered because he's, you know, only been, only just come back and played like, what is it, two two starters he had so he, you know he's not exactly at match fitness so he his passing isn't exactly brilliant and Trent's there to help him out and back him up and there were, there were times when I was like I don't know where either of these are playing because the climb was essentially in midfield and Trent had dropped into right back and then they were swapping back because that was what they'd been asked to do obviously Trent asked to help him out a little bit but it just meant even when he was being asked to play in midfield the Trent was almost playing like a right back so it it, it 
as I say, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. So you've got the context of them being knackered, which isn't an excuse. It's just a reality of the situation. And, and people saying, oh, it's no, you can't use that as an excuse professional footballers. But it, it, is a, it is a reason because they've also flown back from Rome. It's not like the match was in, Rome, in Liverpool and then we've just got the train down. They've had to fly home, do all the things that are involved in that and then travel down to London and, and stay overnight and all the things that, that happen there. So there's a, an awful lot going on. And then things don't quite click on the football pitch as well. And people aren't, uh, people looking around going, well, hold on, who's, who's dragging us out of the mire here? Who's, and, and I think the, the, the loss of Henderson, which made complete sense, did mean that we suffered because, as you say, Wijnaldum, I think, is a brilliant squad option. He's not somebody you want starting every single week, but he has been lately. So then you've got him essentially being the 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 midfielder who's got the the big, you know, the best legs because as I say Milner's older, the the most experience other than Milner. And he he's not having a brilliant game. Milner's having a really poor game. Trent's having a really poor game. So that's your that's your midfield gone. Basically, and so the difference in the way we looked, I thought, when Henderson came on was really stark. Um, and then when it's not sticking with the lads up front because they're all exhausted as well, it just exacerbates the problem and, and really highlights just how much has gone into things lately. There's Mel, the context of the context does matter, the context does make a difference, but then there's another part of that context which is Liverpool, and this is why I think the manager was so frustrated post match with the goal that we concede. For Liverpool, it sounds like a European away. For Liverpool, away goals count double. You know, yeah. all the way through this game, we know the, the context. It's a double-edged sword, the context. Yes, it explains some performances, but the flip side of that is we know. But it also explains Chelsea. For Chelsea, that was... They've got a cup final, but for Chelsea, that was a bit of a cup final. They knew what they needed to do. They, it, 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 and I think that, you know, I was I was impressed with Chelsea over mm-hmm. the course of the 90 minutes. And that's something else to point out. I think they'd be one of the best sides to come to Anfield this season. And I think that they're... For me, they shouldn't have as few points as they've got from what I've seen of them against Liverpool. And yet they yeah. do. They are where they are. But all of that was, was seeped right the way through the game. And that's, you know, how it breaks down. With Even with 30 to go, when from when Henderson comes on, it's quite clear that now this is broadly attack versus defence. Mm. And like I said, I think when they got the goal, they were always comfortable that it was eventually going to get, you know, to that to that point in the game where it was going to be Liverpool trying to throw everything and them very comfortable to sit there and resist. And I, th- I thought their back three were absolutely enjoying it. I, th- I thought they reveled in this battle that was taking place Uh their midfield as well. Uh, Bakayoko's not had the best season, but even he, you know, was was reveling in, in what was happening. And I think the bringing on Henderson added the thing that Liverpool didn't have, which was a little bit of variety, uh, like a variable giving some, Chelsea something else to think about because it was too comfortable. But even that wasn't enough of, of variety to give them, you know, to change things up. Honestly, for the longest time, I felt like Liverpool weren't going to score. I just, mm. I, I didn't, it would have surprised me. It would have absolutely shocked me if Liverpool scored. And I mean, this is a side that if you back them to do anything this season, it is score, especially that front three. But just the way the game felt uh, in its entirety, just, uh, and I think the big thing for me was, like I said earlier, when you're facing organization like that and a team that is quite happy with how things are going and actually wanted to be this way, 
it, it's that a little bit of sharpness in in your mind to be able to you know think a few moves ahead a few steps ahead to think with a little bit more innovation and it just wasn't there. It was one of the things that struck me for Liverpool was it was it was hard to see how Liverpool do things that Chelsea don't like. Yeah, that was what that was what I was watching. Yeah. It was hard to see how Liverpool were going to suddenly start to do things that Chelsea w- wouldn't like. In many in many senses, it was interesting to see the impact Van Dijk made when he actually did his little his little mad four minute cameo up front. In that, in hindsight, I almost end up going of of all the things we saw through the game. There's an argument to do that five ten minutes earlier yeah. because that was at least something that you could see Chelsea were going hang on hang on hang on. What's this now? We've got to deal with this. And I think that you know that's. I think always being able to work out what your opponent doesn't want you to do is important. And I think that this is something which, and I think one of that, that's why you miss the link player. You miss the lad who drives through midfield, who, <clears throat> who does something a little bit unlikely, who creates a bit of space, who takes a man out the game. Yeah. I think Liverpool very much were doing lots of things that Chelsea were able to say, actually, we're enjoying this. Albeit the fact that Aspilicueta does only score an own goal. I feel with this Liverpool side that one of the main strengths is the speed at which they do things. So it's the speed of thought. It's the, you know, they always seem to be a step ahead of the opposition. And I think yesterday, we just didn't have that at all. It was like everything was taking a little bit longer to compute. You know, like even when we were breaking in in the first half, and I actually thought we were the better side for the first half an hour. And there was a few times where we were breaking, and normally you would see the lights of Firmino pick out the right pass. You would see the lights of Mane you know, make the right run. You'd see Salah pulling off to the right-hand side and you you just seemed like they were kind of just stuck in, right, this is what we need to do, but not really doing what they normally do in a sense. Um, it it was frustrating. I, I still think that when you're 1-0 down, I still think that Chelsea played a little bit of a dangerous game because when you're 1-0, you know, it only takes one moment and like you were saying about the Aspicoleta almost own goal you know it just takes a moment like that and then we've got the result that we need to come out of the game and everybody's saying happy days um I just you just couldn't see Liverpool doing it and I think the reason why he brought Solanke on and I know Solanke's got absolutely pelted for yesterday but the reason he brought him on was to do kind of what Van Dyke did in the last few yeah, minutes exactly that. and it's not his fault that he he still didn't get the service even when he was up there. Um, you know, uh, Alan Smith, who drives me absolutely up the wall, he, he yesterday basically made out that Solanke missed a glorious chance. He didn't at all. He was put under loads of pressure. Um, and I just think that you kind of feel like he just needs something to go for him. You just He just needs that moment. And... If, it, if and when that happens, you kind of feel like he'll be on his way then and he'll relax and the fans will relax a little bit about him being on there. But, you know, uh, it's really difficult. I mean, for me, you know, yesterday, I can't remember him really doing anything. Yet, we're kind of forgiving him because he's he's done so much over the past few weeks, over the season. But Solanke, because he's had these games where, you know, nothing's really worked for him. He's not scored any goals and everything seems to be a little bit of a struggle. He's the one that people are picking on in a sense. I want to come back to Solanke in a minute, Stu. I want to go back to the idea of the first thing Philippa said, which was pace, um, directness. One of the things I took from the game, and I've just checked the stats there, between the three Chelsea midfielders who start the game, Fabregas, Bakayoko and Kante, they only have to make four tackles. And one of the things that was striking me whilst I was watching it was we were just never trying to commit them. 
And I think that when when you're dealing with a side who are set, and certainly when they've got the quality Chelsea have got, because this is the other thing, these are these are remarkably fit players. These are players who can get around the pitch. Fabregas's fitness is a bit on the wane, but they're well set up. They're all clever. Fabregas is very very clever. They're all so switched on with how the game works. And don't get me wrong, they were winning the ball back a lot but it was all interceptions. Liverpool just weren't committing them and pulling them out of shape. And again, when I'm talking about making the front threes, the back three's life difficult for Chelsea. We didn't make that midfield's life difficult enough yeah. either. The, the, the It goes back, to me it goes back to the, the, the Chelsea setup. I mean, they've, they've played, um, played three midfielders, two of which are notably defensive midfielders and one Fabregas was asked to do a fairly uh, restricted job yesterday and they were always behind the ball and so we're passing in front of them uh, Adam's right you know when he spoke about Milner he couldn't pick a pass yesterday and he wasn't the only one but yeah we had this 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 wall in front of us in the midfield area and the only way we're going to break that down the only way we're going to actually um disrupt that defensive organisation is if you've got a, a midfielder in the central area who's willing as you say to, to commit a player to take them on to, to break a line and unfortunately because of the injuries we, we don't necessarily have that do I think that the trends do I think that Milner um, and Genie have the, the, the capability themselves Yes, I do think to to to, to commit uh, a Chelsea midfielder but it just didn't seem to be it just didn't seem to be in them uh, uppermost thoughts really um and I think if they found it too easy first half, Stu, to pass. Do you know what I mean? Like they always found it too easy to go sideways well, yeah, first half. Ch- and they, and they, they were almost rope dope. And I don't think it's a double bit of tactic from Chelsea. In that I just don't think Chelsea start that well, to be honest with you. But do you think they almost find it a bit too easy to go right? We're looking here, we're looking here, and not and not and and therefore there wasn't the onus on them just to be a bit more vertical, a bit more. We're not messing about. Yeah, but I do think it was a deliberate tactic. I think it was. I think Chelsea were, were absolutely fine all day for our midfield to pass the ball in front of them. I think they were fine um, to, to to push us out wide, and our fullbacks then weren't, weren't committing either um, to go forward. And actually, I mean, you mentioned Moses against Robertson before, and I, I just think with that, you know, um, Moses won that battle largely because um, he didn't have the threat of Robertson getting in behind mm. him. So. I think Chelsea's game plan was to let us pass in front of them. When they go to a three-five-two, you know they're a more defensive. They're the home team here, but they've, they've made a tactical decision to go be a more defensive mindset. Let us play in front of them and then move as a block when they get the ball, which is what they did, and, and funnel it into wide areas and, and try and take us that way. So, yes, I think it's really, I think it's really hard. I, I do think that Liverpool, within their squad, have some answers to that, but I don't think they have enough answers to that. Um, and you know, one of the things that that I, the context for me of that game, aside from the Rome and the Champions League run, the context for me of that game is there's a repeated pattern there. I think Conte's the best at it against us, but I, I think there's a, a there's a signs of a repeated pattern there of, of Liverpool against low block teams. We've seen that for a long time. Well organised teams who overload in central areas. We have to have uh, players that can disrupt that in the central midfield areas. Um, and people say. I've heard many, many times, oh, um, we haven't missed Coutinho since he's gone. I can understand where people are coming from that because we've made it into the Champions League final. But there's, there's a perfect example of a game that actually, if you have Coutinho in a central area, perhaps you do have that creativity to disrupt them. Coutinho has played well before at Chelsea. Um, so 
I think it's a combination. I think it's a squad issue. I think it's it's an injuries issue. I think there's a context of Rome. I think there's the context of, of a good tactical plan by Conte. I think there's a, there's a context of actually us not playing that well. I certainly think there's a context of us not actually responding early enough to what was clearly happening on the pitch and making necessary tactical adjustments. I mean, with the players, we're talking about play, uh, having to be better in wide areas. We have signed over the last couple of years, and they played yesterday, two wingers. Now, we played them in a different way. We played them coming into central areas. But our midfield needed the outlet wide yesterday. And I don't see enough, enough in games where we are facing a low block. I don't see enough of us actually saying, getting a grip of Salah, getting a grip of Mane and saying, no, you're staying wide and stay there. Force their, their um, wide defenders, whether it's fullbacks or wingbacks, force them into decisions that they don't want to make. And let's give us, and let's give us the option of perhaps... Um, of overlapping with with Robertson and Klein there yesterday, or Robertson and Trent, not more, not but more usually. I don't see enough of us changing the game plan in game early enough when we're facing that kind of that kind of opposition. And the thing is that 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 narks me a little bit is we know when we're going to play teams like that. We know largely the teams that are either going to come to Anfield and do that. Yesterday we could see within the first ten minutes what was going on, but largely we know what the game plan is against the Allardyces of this world. We know what the game plan is and I think we're perfectly set up in our front three to make that tactical adjustment in-game and I, I think that's something that we, we need to have a look at. I think if... Uh, I take Stu's point there, Mel. One of the things about it, though, becomes if you pull those lads out wide, which I'm fine with, is that you then need your midfielders to join mm-hmm. and that then yeah. comes back to the conversation about link players. So yeah, you, yeah, can pull, yeah. you can send those lads out wide if you've got, say, Lallana and Oxlade-Chamberlain who are going yeah. to come and get around for me, going to come and get around for me, you know, when it's, uh, when it's not them. And this is where, you know, sometimes there's days where it's just imperfect or you flip it another way and mm-hmm. what you do is you say to Manny, right, you're going to come and play, you're going to actually be nailed on central but start a bit deeper and we're going to have someone who's going to effectively go and play left wing and make the pitch absolutely huge on that side and this is where you end up back with the personnel question and, and I end up back with as a manager you're making the option that maybe you feel is the least worst rather than the option yeah. that you feel is the best uh, if we discount obviously it's the biggest thing that happens in the game yesterday but without Giroud's goal Liverpool are completely content even though they're you know it's just a draw and there hasn't been any goals or it hasn't been the sort of best performance. It hasn't been explosive. It hasn't been effervescent or anything like that. You're completely fine with it because it's all you need. And in the current situation, it's it's just perfect. It's, it's fine. It's lovely. When they score, it's debilitating on so many fronts because then you have to go and find the extra gears. You have to... You know, like we said, the variation, the the speed of thought, um, just switching the tempo. Every you've got to do now so many other things to get back on level terms in this game, let alone get ahead in the game. And it was just so difficult to watch because you can tell you know all the things that you that you expect them to do to get the better off this defensive block, but. You just look at it and you're thinking, okay, who's going to do it? You know, Mane pulled deep a lot of the times to try and affect the game from there and to, to try and carry the ball up. But then someone needs to go into his space. Yeah, then he's too far away from goal. And then, so it's just, I think the point Neil keeps making, the personnel point is the one and that you cannot bring on your ball carrier 
that you cannot inject that dynamism into midfield is is a killer yesterday. Melissa, you know you said there that once they score, then Liverpool have to do the they have to do different things. They have to then commit more. I didn't feel that after they scored. I didn't feel that Liverpool did that. I yeah. didn't feel that Liverpool actually adjusted um, until we made the change and then Trent goes wide and the game becomes a bit more expansive. And I, as I said at the beginning, I felt there was there was um, a period of time there that was too long for me, that was that was was dead space, that was dead time, that was wasted. Um, and we, we continued with the game plan. And actually, the game plan was only going to... It become even more difficult that original game plan because now Chelsea have got a lead to hang on to. I mean, did you feel that in that period of time that they did respond? No, and that's the thing that I think more than anything it played. It's it what it's what happens in your head when when that when you think oh they've scored oh goodness this is exactly what they wanted it's exactly what we didn't want. How do we now kick it up an extra gear? And f- for one. I don't think I think there were a few poor performances. I think there were just a lot of underwhelming aspects of Liverpool's play, but I don't think any I don't think it was a lack of effort really no. on anyone's part. I don't think it was a lack of commitment or determination or any of those things that you know you would sometimes say in a game like this. I don't think those were the issues. I I I think it was more the skill set, there was the lack of the skill sets that you can rely on and the ones that you do usually bank on. Mm. Uh, Salah, Firmino, it just wasn't coming off. I think the other thing which strikes me about that is I think he wants to give, I, I think there's a minutes thing as well. I take your point in that we don't, it's not like we come out second half and you go and all, the, all these problems are solved. We sharpen after Henderson comes on, but I think he's decided he's given Henderson half an hour and he's given Klein an hour minimum, if you know what mm. I mean. And Klein goes off on 59, Henderson comes on. And I just sort of think he's thought, and I think it's quite a... There aren't as many half-time subs as we all think there are, if you sort of know what I mean. But I think he's sort of... It's not necessarily a sub thing, Neil. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, there was no notab- notable, even subtle, I think, adjustments to the game plan. And well, he might, he might have tried, I think he might have tried to make them, but he decides he's got to do it with personnel. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think... I think he saw through the game and I want to come on and sort of use this as a bit of a, a template to talk about the improvements we need to make in the summer. But I think this is the game where you were really able to see the limitations of Wijnaldum playing in that deepest role. The number of times he's hanging onto the ball, not shifting it quick enough. Mm-hmm. All that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff we've said in the past. I think, you know, Klein looked, you know, you want Klein to make the pitch bigger, but he looked like a lad who was really toiling in difficult mm. circumstances in the heat as well, which it is worth pointing out. And so I think that it'd be, I think he might have tried to change it, but it might be that by the time he's got to 55, he's thought, I'm going to have to do this from the bench. And that's what I think you see. I just want to talk about, I think, before we get onto that and get onto the Solanke, Adam, I want to talk about the, for me, the two key moments in the game of the 24th minute and the 32nd minute. The 24th minute is when Courtois comes for that corner and just flicks it off, landed on Van Dijk's head, which would have made it 1-0. And then, obviously, their goal. And, you know, their goal's not great. Lovren's got himself two to deal with. Um, he should be screaming at Van Dijk to drop and give him some help. He's not. I think he either thinks he's going to get there or he's not aware of the man behind him until it's too late. But that corner, first and foremost, it does... The game felt very... Liverpool at the minute feel very much that they play 20, 2018 football. Uh, that When you go to Stamford Bridge, you feel very much like you're playing 2005 football. And that that one hand from Courtois, which stops Liverpool from making it 1-0, in hindsight in the game, does look at the defining moment, as defining as what happens up the other end to make it 1-0. And this is a team that thrives on moments in a lot of ways as well Chelsea and, uh, you, no Liverpool yeah. actually is uh, what I meant moments to then build on but yeah it's exactly so it's because 
so often when we score an opening goal, it's it's actually not like we've had a build-up of pressure for ages. It's actually like it comes out of nowhere and then we have the pressure that adds the second and the third in the following 10, 15 minutes. That's what, that is the way Liverpool seem to play a lot Very good at scoring the second goal. Yeah, not so much at turning the screw, but once the, once the screw's popped, if you like, the good at driving it home. That's a terrible metaphor. But you, <laughs> you, you see what I mean. And, and I think actually that those... So that moment of Van Dijk, if he gets that... I think Chelsea suddenly have the thing that Liverpool have of thinking, how oh, are we getting past these? Because they're actually really good. But it, you know, there's there's just enough from from Courtois, and and he, you know, he's not a good goalkeeper. I don't think he doesn't deserve the plaudits that he gets, Courtois. And I, I think if we watched him week in week out, there'd be people pulling the hair out over him. Um, but he he does have the ability to do exceptional things. He's a bit like Loris, I think, at Spurs for that. He's not. He's not. He's not De Gea, but he has the ability to do brilliant things. And, and you know, that wasn't necessarily a brilliant thing, but it was enough to stop Van Dijk being able to essentially just tap the ball into an open net. And then you get the, their goal, which which comes from, you know, as you say, but then I, I did see, you know, um, I saw a tweet from Phil Blundell, which I thought made perfect sense. He, says, he said, if a defender stops that, it's because they're in the wrong place in the first place. Uh, actually, because of the deflection, because of everything that, that sort of comes around it. And it's a fair point, and it? it's one of them where we're basically lambasting defenders for doing the right thing in, in, what, in what should happen, but also not reacting to what actually happens. And I think going back to what Philippa said before about the speed, in, in every way, the speed is, it's just, you know, it is, and it's not an excuse, but it's perhaps a mitigation. It's another example of tiredness, what you, because they're, they're, you know, they are mentally exhausted, especially what they had to go through in Rome with the, you know, it, it was never really in doubt over there, but even so, you've, you've still got to be on your game to stop them from getting that, that, uh, that fourth goal earlier in the match than they actually did. So they're constantly concentrating. And then, so they're mentally exhausted going into this as well as physically exhausted. And I think there were a lot of times when you saw that when players were just half a beat behind. And that's what a difference this makes. And I, and I think everyone, because of Chelsea's general uh, league position and the things that have been going on with Conte, and you know, but loads of them seeming to want him out and they're not wanting him out and all that sort of thing, it, it's easy to forget they're a really good team because they've been built up over years by a billionaire who's been buying really good footballers. So they have got the ability in the, in the moment to do what they did. They've got a bit of an ability to be to deal with the thing that's in front of them Philippa and that's something that this Liverpool side I think is still and is deliberately is philosophically it's interesting Adam says half a beat and it's fair to say the man, this manager has, has decided to build a team and the way in which he's building it and the way in which he wants to build it is that it can't really afford to be half a beat off Mm. And that that comes with its strengths. The strength is that when when it isn't half a beat off, it's irresistible. That it's it's an unstoppable force. But I think we've seen through through much of the season. There's been very 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 few results Liverpool haven't deserved over the course of the season. Um, we've had a lot a lot a lot of the time when we've we've got a point, we've not been when we failed to win, we've not been quite right, and we've thought well with a bit of luck and another day. But it is worth pointing out this Liverpool side really doesn't have that stronger. That stronger relationship of getting results in an ugly way. It either gets results and gets results by playing excellent football, or it it looks half a beat off, and that's something for them to think about a little bit, if not necessarily change. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it yesterday, and I thought, you know, in in January, Chelsea they signed Giroud, and I thought that was a really astute sign, and it's a sort of player who I think. You know, could have done kind of the Benteke role, kind of the role that we're asking Solanke to do for us now. Um, 
And it's maybe that sort of thing that, you know, sometimes not be so stubborn that this is the way that we play and we always have to do this, that, you know, maybe when we're not on song that you can have somebody like that. Um, I mean, perfect person would be Edin Zako, to be honest. I thought he was outstanding against us in both games. Um, I kind of get your point. I think I think this Liverpool side more than any other... Um, it's a really strange side because it's probably my favourite ever Liverpool side, but also the most frustrating because you can kind of see where we still need to make changes, where we need to kind of improve. And I think that there's there's massive areas for improvement. And I think that's probably the most exciting thing about this side. Um, and I think what we've also seen over Klopp's two and a half years-ish that he's been in charge of the club is that He's constantly learned, um, learnt from from mistakes that he's made, but also from just you know his experiences within this league. You know, last season we saw over the Christmas period and going into the new year, up until probably the end of February, that the Liverpool side really struggled to deal with the number of games that they had to play. And this season we haven't had that. The problem that we've had now is the fact that we've been in Europe. Um, and let's not forget that before this season started, everybody said Liverpool would struggle in the league this season because they'd have Europe to contend with. And we didn't have that last year. Um, so again, it's another learning curve for him. It's how does he go about um, being able to contest in both of those competitions next year, whether, it, I mean, hopefully, you know, we go on and beat Brighton and therefore we're in the Champions League again next season or we win the Champions League and we're in the Champions League again next season. But it's, it's to me, it's this constant, like, learning curve. And I, what I really, really like and something that I find is a real positive is that I feel like it's constantly developing. You don't feel like we're standing still. You don't feel like, actually, if you know, this could be the peak and then we're going to fall away. You feel like this is a step to something that, that you know, we're making moves and and that you, you kind of feel like that they're going to make signings this summer that's really going to make a difference to us and that we are going to be able to compete on both fronts. And I, I, I just absolutely love this side. I, I think Klopp's done an incredible job to get this team where it is currently. And I think just with a couple more pieces of the puzzle, I think that it could be an incredible side that we're watching. Uh, Stu, before we get on to the summer, because I think it's interesting, and also I want to talk about the last few weeks as a totality now that we've reached the point where we've got to be bright in last game, or we think we will have to, you don't know about that yet. Um, there is there is the, the question around now both Ings and Solanke. I think Ings, I think it may well be that Ings has now got to sort of continue his career away from Anfield. Um, it, certainly if he wants his career to involve getting 200 appearances between now and the end of it uh, in top flight football, which he undoubtedly is good enough to and deserves. Solanke looks difficult. It looks. I think if you actually break Solanke's performance down yesterday, in terms of what his brain is asking his body to do, I actually think he's he's done mostly the right thing. I don't. There's, there's not many times you're able, you go. What on earth are you either trying to do there? Why are you there? Blah blah blah. I think most of the time he's broadly where he needs to be. I think the the sheer learning curve of being that sort of player though, at the age of twenty, coming up against Gary Cahill, uh, Rudiger, uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, coming up against lads like that on the one hand, or even the Ryan Shaw crosses of the world on the other. It is difficult, isn't it, that leap from under-23s to this, combined with the fact that, you know, also, whilst his brain's getting him doing the right things, it's, it's, at times his feet aren't. He's not ready. I mean, I, I, I don't... Um, 
subscribe to the view that he's not good enough. So I just think he's perhaps not good enough yet. I think that if you have this, if you've had the season that Solanke's had, are you going to be taking huge risks when you're on the pitch? Probably not. Probably not. He's yet to score a goal, um, and. I think he's yet to relax. He's he's coming on, not wanting to let anyone down. Look, would love to be the hero in a game, but he, he kind of just needs that opportunity just to, to really present itself to him now and fall to him. But I, I agree with what you say, Neil. He, he generally does the right things. He's not sticking the ball in the net, but I don't. I, you know, like Philip has said before, I didn't think he had loads of like he didn't have guilted opportunities yesterday. I mean, Rudiger did fantastic against yeah. him with that header. Um, and I think that it's just a little bit too much too soon. I think we all a little bit got ahead of ourselves when we saw him in pre-season, which can make a fool of all of us at times. We've seen it with Markovic when we signed him. You know, um, He's just not ready. And I, and I feel sorry for the lad in, in some respects that he's... he's He's in this. He's put in this position actually because our, our squad is a bit th- threadbare in the final third. Um, for me, it's very, very important that Slanky now gets an opportunity to uh, to go and play. I'd like to keep him on the books, but I think he needs an opportunity to go and play on loan. Whether that's in this country, ideally, I would like it to be in the Premier League, uh, or whether it's abroad. But like I said on a show a few weeks ago, we kind of need him to go and find himself a little bit now. We kind of need him to go and find out what he's about. Uh, and play for a team that's actually going to make best use of his strengths and it's going to play him. I think that's the, the, the danger is when we've seen lads go on loan and then they're out with the team within a few weeks. Mm. Uh, so we, we do need the, the, the right platform platform for him to go and develop. Um, I, I think that's where um, Danny Ings. It's just I don't I don't I think you're made of stone if you don't feel sorry for the lad and I think he, he's good enough to go and do a job for someone but he shouldn't be Liverpool's second or third choice striker not if Liverpool have got the ambitions that we're saying we have not if we're if if we're we're um, we're going to move on this summer in the way that we hope but I think all of that actually comes down a little well a lot to uh, whether Liverpool are actually going to secure Champions League football which I think they will yeah. uh, you know I'm ninety percent sure that, that that they will um, but if we don't. If we don't, then I think a lot of these these conversations somewhat get reevaluated because our, our our signing options, our transfer options, do become more limited. Yeah, I think it's so difficult, as you know, for somebody like Solanke who's so young, and then is having to come in and be a foil for that front three, which I don't think there is a. Comp- it's so hard and it's so unfair for people to compare him and what he comes on to do against what that front three is capable of doing. Also, he's got no rhythm because he's got no minutes. He doesn't play regularly enough to build up any sort of steam. And often, when when you speak to players, uh, especially attacking players, and you speak to them about not getting minutes, they say when they come on, they have this automatic inherent need to prove themselves and actually I don't think he has I think he comes on and tries to do what he's being asked to do for the team and I think at his age and in his situation that's actually quite a good trait to have that he's not coming and looking to show off and looking to show well I'm good enough to be in this team he's coming on and you know tactically and and whatever else he's being asked to do is doing that those that watch him regularly that watch him in training and stuff all say there's such a good player mm. in there. Mm. And I just think it's unfortunate for him that the front three have kicked on the way they have, which means his opportunities are limited. With Ings, it's different. I think 
Ings is at the stage and, and at an age where he cannot afford, you know, to have reduced minutes. He hasn't played because of injury for like two years. He needs to go somewhere and he can go to many Premier League clubs and do a really, really good job for them. And I think Liverpool do know that they need better attacking options. I think what happens there as well is you, you get some players who look at it and I'll use Julian Brandt as an example. He looked at our options and he thought, I'm pissing at Leverkusen mm. because I'm probably going to go there. It's a new league, new country. Uh, it's going to take so much for me to get in. And, you know, people will say, well, he should have backed himself. And it's easy to say that. But if it goes wrong, if you have a terrible or a hard three months you know, people get on your back. Look at uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was in this league, you know, only moved a, a three-hour journey away. And his first few games, he was getting absolutely ridiculed. It, is, it does take a lot for... And the, the age of players Liverpool are targeting, a lot will look and think, maybe it's better to go to another stepping stone club before we go there. Um... I think Liverpool will buy some really good players this summer. I think they will address a lot of the areas that we look at and we think you can improve there because they're not blind. They see what we see. Um, I think Jürgen Klopp desperately and the recruitment team as a whole desperately want pedigree, but they also understand the need of... How many players in world football can you buy that are better than your current front three? I think the thing for Liverpool as a club benefited in terms of the lack of fixtures by going out of the, the League Cup and going out of the FA Cup. We just did. We probably wouldn't be in the Champions League final if we'd gone further in those two competitions because we don't have the legs. But I think Solanke and Ings in particular have suffered from us not doing it yeah. because exactly as Mel says, they don't have the minutes. Even you know, even Ings, who started more games than Solanke, just still doesn't have anywhere near the minutes in his legs that you'd want for your striker that you want to make a real judgment about. And you know, if we had say not made it out of the group but made it to the semi-finals, final of the League Cup and the, and the FA Cup, you're probably seeing them play an awful lot more minutes than they have with the way things have worked out. So they're players that that may or may not be good enough but actually I, I really don't think we're in a position to make a fair judgment about it because we just haven't seen them enough we haven't seen the minutes in them in a situation where they're playing and you know and, and if you look at Ings who everybody you know everybody sort of said oh I think it's been decided now he's not good enough well the one game that he's played with the with the actual rest of the front three and in a position that he prefers in the centre he scored a goal and should have got a penalty so we, you know, yeah. we couldn't have done much more than what he what he did. His legs went, but he hasn't played for two years. But in terms of when it, when he was okay, he scored a goal, should have been awarded a penalty, and he did everything that could have been asked of him until he tired, and then he then he had to be taken off. So I think that's a sign that you know the problem isn't so much that he's not good enough; it's that we that we can't give him the minutes that let him show that he's good enough, and that may not be something that changes next season either. Which you know sort of comes back to Mel's point about who we're looking for that will both be given the minutes and be good enough and have the mentality to be able to, you know, not worry if things don't click straight away. And that, that is when things become really interesting. It, it strikes me, Stu, that if I go Philippa first on this, that was sort of, this game is one. Whilst I was watching it, I was almost put my shopping list together, uh, <laughs> which was, you know, interesting. I was almost going, you know, I'd like there to be two more options on the bench of lads who've got genuine pace and the ability to play in wide areas. 
Um, I think the idea of being able to bring one or two of them on and then make a decision as to where you want Sadio Mane to play rather than ask him to do two jobs would have mm. been quite nice. I think, you know, I was watching it thinking, good Lord, I'd like there to be someone else other than Jordan Henderson who's good to play in that position. Certainly if Emery Chan goes, that'd be quite nice. I think you can possibly make an argument um, at centre-half. I think that's ongoing. The goalkeeper, the jury's out. I think in every sense in terms of the sort of goalkeeper you could get on the one hand and also, you know, the, the gulf that is between that goalkeeper and, and our current incumbent but you really were sort of sitting there and, and, and the other thing I was thinking was you can't have too many centre midfielders who can break the lines you can't you honestly can't at the minute we've got three and they're all out so yeah. you know and, and, and in general I always think I think you can say about clubs is you can't have too many really good centre mids because you can always find a way to get them on the pitch you can always solve some problems you can always get them time on the pitch and I, you know I'd be looking there as well I think that's the thing when you when you look at the squad and everybody says it's not big enough it's not deep enough you know, we've got basically three right backs, but Klein's been out for most of the season. You re- relied on Joe Gomez, who I think is twenty twenty one now. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold, who's nineteen, so two young lads there to basically take up the whole of the season um, because Klein's been out at centre half. We've basically had Matip, who's been out since March, I think it is. Um, Lovren, who's been in and out through injury and illness. Um, Van Dijk, who obviously has been pretty much never present since he's come in and has been fantastic. But again, you know, Clavans, you know your other option there. And you would think that's an area for strengthening. Left back, Moreno, you know, there's talks of him getting a new contract. Then you've got Robertson, who I think has been outstanding. So again, is it really an area that you think you can do all that much there? I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, midfield, you've got six midfielders there to pick in three positions. And, you know, we keep talking about we need more options, we need more players, we can't cope with this number of injuries. Yet you look at having two people for every single position throughout this team, and OK, up front, I, I, that's probably the one area where I would say we definitely do need to, to have somebody else to come in. But you look everywhere else and there's at least two people for every position. And how how do other clubs go? Do they have three? Do they have four? You know, I, I just find this criticism of the, the the amount of players that we have and the fact that we've, we didn't get more players in in January or last summer is kind of, I don't know, I, I think it's criticism that is kind of unwarranted in, in a lot of ways. But, but what I would say is, Henderson and Chan have both got slightly checkered attendance records. Lallana's yeah. is is all over the show at this stage, and I think it's important that that's acknowledged through the football mm. club yeah. that right now we've had two years of really broken service from Adam Lallana. Um, Wijnaldum, you can in general put a tiny question mark around as to whether or not he's quite good enough to move forward with. So yeah, we're signing Naby Keita, uh, but I'm now you know, and I, I everyone knows who listens to this that I rate Henderson, but the idea that Henderson it's demonstrable literally from the last three days, four days, that Henderson can't play two, two intense games in a week because the manager's looked yep. at it and gone, I'm not playing him in two intense games in a week. So we need, if, certainly if Chan's going to go, someone's got to come in there. Yep. And then you've got to ask yourself, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think he's it's he's got a bit of a checkered attendance record himself from his time at Arsenal. Yes, it's a one-off injury that he's got here. <laughs> but what you can't have is, you know, you... My 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 issue here, Philip, is there's too many lads who are, who are there's too many positions here where I take your point, but we're on a bit of a knife edge, and I'd rather not be on a knife edge because I want to win the league and I want to win the Champions League in the same season. No, I agree with you, and I think that's the point. So, what do you do then? Do you take the the chance in letting a couple of those players go, like your Emre Chan, like maybe Lallana, 
and getting other players in who maybe haven't had injuries checker in the past and you know and this is this is where we're at now that you know it's not it's not a bad position to be in because you can say right well actually no we'll keep somebody like Lalana and you know he's a good option if he can manage to stay fit but get somebody else in as well where do you where do you go from here and it's a real strength it's a real position of strength for me it's not it's not a, a it's not a weakness it's not it's not something that i think is a is a negative about this side i think it's a real positive because we we've seen how good this side is and if we're adding to this now and making it even better then to me that's really exciting whereas i i take and understand philippa's points and from a, an emotion from an emotional level even more so because there's a there's a clearly an emotional connection now uh, with with the players that we've got that have got us thus far i also think <clears throat> what we're talking about here is is evolution rather than revolution we're talking about okay these lads have got us to this stage we need to take a further step but that's that's also added to the context of lads who were doing really well a couple of years for a go for us like Lalana because we haven't seen much of them this year these are all get they're not old but they're, they're all getting a bit older and Milner's going to have another year in his legs and so I think there does need to be um, the, the midfield does need to be addressed it does need to be considered and I do think that the club as Melissa said earlier on they're not blind they are making moves now from what if, if, if we believe and there's normally no smoke without fire certainly from a positional point of view when you look at um, media reports around transfers if you look at a lot of the players that we've been linked with there are uh, suggestions that we're making moves in midfield areas we've, we've for months now we're being linked with Jorginho um, we've got uh, t- you know only yesterday um, Fahir has been linked um, we've got Keita coming in I think there is uh, an acceptance by the club that they are going to have to make moves in that area um, Chan is as we've said is likely to go Lalana, there's a question mark over him um, and, I, and although Wijnaldum's played very well recently yesterday apart really in a, in a slightly different position um, I think also his Liverpool career is very much one of ups and downs. You know, he'll, he'll have games where he's absolutely immense, and he'll have other games where he's, he's invisible. You know, so um, I think that we do need to supplement that. Um, so yeah, for me, the midfield area should be uppermost in our thoughts alongside um, wide forward options. The, the, Mel, one of the things that's difficult though is genuinely difficult is is sort of because the way we play I said before that you know we we, we don't do much six and a half out of ten and mm. we're quite uh, you know the, 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 we, we are a bit of a high wire act a lot of the time so therefore you know, at times we're asking players first to be quite multifunctional during games but also to be quite sort of multifunctional across the course of a season and yeah. then the other thing that we're asking of them as well you know it's it's a, it's it's a really you let's use let's use where Henderson plays as an example it's really really difficult to get your to get your man who ticks every single box as to what you want in that position if you're mm. Jurgen Klopp that, that yeah. there's not many of those footballers if any really mm. that you end up you end up ticking so many boxes as to what you want that player to be able to do that you end up looking around Europe and that, you know there might only be two or three lads yeah that's the the difficulty I think Liverpool definitely looking at a six they will look at a ten who can possibly function as an eight or can function in in the front three uh, and like you say, I think with all with everyone they target, there will be 
a multifaceted element to them, like you see with Nabi Keita. Nabi Keita can play three positions if need be. Um, and th they want, like I, I said, they want pedigree, but I think you also have to supplement. So it's getting those pedigreed players in, but then also maybe looking at somebody who's, who's willing to come in and have to really fight for their place or fight for the opportunity to play up front for Liverpool and perhaps not be okay with the fact that they might not actually get those opportunities apart from, you know, in the League Cup or FA Cup or uh, when we need to rotate. And it, I think it's a it's an interesting balancing act that they've got. But when you look at what recruitment have done over the last few years and you look at their ability to identify the fact that, you know, Virgil van Dijk and they didn't want to compromise on him and you can see why they didn't want to compromise on him because he solves so many of the issues Liverpool identified they had uh, and they didn't think that there was anyone who could do it to the capability of he can now. I think they'll also look to bring in another centre-back. I know they were looking at a younger centre-back originally, but I don't know, given the fact that Matip, more especially, and Lovren as well, have continued having niggles this season, whether... It's not as young as as initial, as initially that they were looking for. Um, we all know they liked Allison, but I think the prices quoted means they're thinking, how can you pay like 60, 70, 80 million for a goalkeeper when you're not sure how much more of an improvement he is than, than what you have? Um, but... When you yeah when you, the Virgil Van Dijk seventy five million and everyone will be like oh well there's no brilliance in that cost seventy five million to get him of course he was going to be good and then you look at Andy Robertson who basically was a swap deal for Kevin Stewart and they are good at finding players that tick the boxes that Liverpool need and I think they will continue to do that I think you know we still. And you mentioned it, Stu. We've done well without Falcatino, yes, but you still lost a player who was a 10, who was an 8, who was a left forward, who scored 20, go contributed 20 goals in 20 games before he left, played well in Europe, played well in big games, helped against deep defensive sides. You still need to bring in somebody or players who are able to do that. That's why the, the Fekir link makes absolute sense yeah, to yeah. me. Absolute sense because he, he plays very much in a in a similar style and similar position, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And I believe he's he's captain of uh, of Leon, yeah. isn't he? Um, so I, I can I do think that we we've all, we've also been linked with uh, quite heavily with um, the the Norwich uh, centre midfielder who's uh, who's got player of the year. Whether it's a tenuous link, I don't know, but it seems that we've been linked quite heavily. I think we'll see. Over the next two months, a lot of names linked with Liverpool, especially in those in like a sort of ten position, and anywhere that Liverpool are looking for improvement, you'll see Liverpool linked with a lot of goalkeepers as well. Um, but I think the club will work quieter than usual, uh, not because of anything, but I think. Other clubs are starting to piggyback on Liverpool's recruitment. And I, I'll use the Cater example. Liverpool had basically, you know, gone through the process of 
identifying Keita, um, scouting him, speaking to RB Leipzig and Barcelona decide, well, yeah, they want, okay, we're going to go in for him as well. Um, and I think given Salah's done so well, Sadio Mane's done so well, Roberto Firmino, Andy Robertson, I think there'll be a lot of other recruitment teams quite interested in what Liverpool are looking to do. So uh, maybe it will benefit the club that there'll be so many names out there this time and no one can, you know, properly judge which ones are the real ones. But I, I do think I'm very excited for the work they'll do in the summer. I, I think they'll do some very good stuff. There's... That work is obviously easier if you're in the Champions League, Adam, and Liverpool have now got one game to do it against Brighton or uh, beat Real Madrid or hopefully both. Um, there is... I mean, if I had to pick, uh, there is... Um, <laughs> there is... There is something in the in the idea of here, you know, looking back over the last few weeks, Liverpool have shot themselves in the foot a little bit. I think that the... For me... I don't think I'm, I'm, I was trying to th- reflect on whether or not there's a managerial team selection conversation as to whether or not he's been picking the right players for the for the league games and managing this little run of games well enough, or if there's a just a, a conversation around the way in which we've been performing in the games. And I think you know if I'm if I'm pointing a finger in either direction, here, I I don't think Klopp's got. <laughs> got it noticeably or concernedly wrong. I, I think maybe, just maybe, he could have gone with Robertson at West Brom, uh, in hindsight, that maybe he could have gone with Robertson at West Brom and, 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 and maybe not, not, not gambled Moreno on that one. I think Moreno at home against Stoke makes sense. Um, I think that maybe, you know... It, I just don't think we've seen the games out well enough. I don't think we've quite been good enough. I think we sort of take the point against Stoke because we think, well, we keep ourselves in position. We keep it in our hands, which is what we've done. Um, I think we maybe do that. But West Brom is the one where we're 2-0 where, where up. I, 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 you know, I'm not, for instance, looking at the Merseyside derby and thinking we should have we should have made sure we won that, done anything differently there because we knew what we had to do against Manchester City and we saw how intense that was. My point is that I don't think that... I don't think he could have selected them any better. I, I just sort of think they could have done with a little bit more luck, maybe slightly better refereeing, but also could have could have seen games out sharper, better, perform better. Look, definitely, you can't argue with that because we've played essentially two teams that are going down and only taken two points off them. So, so on the one hand, there is no argument of that. But but then that big old thing called the Champions League comes back up again in the context of of when the matches were before and after, and and when you're if you're. I refuse to believe that any sensible football fan, if they are put the fixtures in front of them and told, do you want to prioritise Porto or do you want to prioritise Stoke? Uh, not Porto, Roma, or do you want to prioritise Stoke? I've refused to believe anybody's saying Stoke. You, you know, it was absolutely the right thing. The, the, the choices that have been made to prioritise getting to the final of the Champions League were absolutely the right thing to do. If for no other reason than you don't get a second bite at the cherry with those Champions League games, you do with this because we have got Brighton at home. And the manager knows that and the manager knows that you know Brighton are probably going to be safe by the time they come to Anfield so whilst they're not I'm not expecting them to roll over and have the belly tickled I think it'll be a little bit like Middlesbrough last year where it's a tough game but eventually once we get the goal two goals that you know everyone shakes hands and says thanks very much I think that's what it'll you know that's what it'll broadly be like they are the right they're the right games to prioritize and and obviously the West Brom one is the most frustrating one because we're 2-0 up I don't think we played well in that game, though. It wasn't like we were battering West Brom and that's why we were 2-0 up. The two goals kind of came out of nowhere, really. And West Brom have since gone on to beat 
is it Manchester United and, and Spurs? So yeah. it's not like that, you know, and we, we've hit them at the, everyone's saying, oh, they're going down. Yeah, they're going down because there were shithouses who, you know, mm-hmm. cried it in because they wanted Pardew sacked. That's why they're going down. The players are a disgrace at, at West Brom. That's why they, they are going down. Nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they've been, they're a terrible team. They're not a terrible team. They should be about eighth. The reason they're going down is because of what they've done all season and they happen to turn it on at exactly the time we turned up, much like Swansea, by the way. Um, and also, one, one quick thing that I meant to say before, when people talk about Solanke hasn't scored, he has scored, it's just that the referee decided out of nowhere that he unballed it when he didn't. So, you know, he has scored, he just got disallowed by a terrible refereeing decision. And by the way, that would have been the goal that would mean Champions League was already secure by now if it was given. So it, 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 it is one of those things that is just... it's irritating because we've made absolutely the right team selections in my opinion for the games that we've had in front of us they should have seen it out against West Brom. There's no real, uh, you know, excuse for that apart from they were a team who, who, who've decided to turn it on now that they've got the manager that they want there, um, and they've shown that against other teams that they've got the ability. Stoke, we should have had about four penalties and not even soft ones. And you can't, you know, I know it's boring stuff with the referee, but we should have, and we should have won that with the penalty. That's then it's done and dusted, but it wasn't because it was terrible refereeing. So a little bit of fortune that hasn't been there for us. But again, it comes down to the same point. It's because we were targeting getting to the Champions League final, which every sane person is now really excited about. And we knew we had one more game left against Brighton at home when they've got nothing to play for and we've got everything to play for and we could genuinely easily lose it or draw it against Brighton because that happens sometimes but if you want to come up against a Liverpool team that knows what they need to do and what they need to do is win well best of luck to you totally agree with that Um, my kind of feeling about the league games recently has been that we've tried to get results with the minimum amount of effort and uh, but sorry not the minimum amount of effort but the minimum amount of energy being expended in order to try and do it um, you know, West Brom, we were 2-0 up and I kind of feel like the players thought, right, OK, we've got what we need here now and relaxed a little bit and ended up basically throwing a two-goal lead. Um, but we've also played a lot of teams that are fighting for everything they can possibly get. Um, and if you play these sorts of sides earlier on in the season, you don't necessarily get that because they don't know what they need to do in order to try and survive in this league. And it's a really difficult thing to do to play teams that when you've got your eye on something else, that is all they've got left to do and to fight for. And it's the same for Chelsea. You know, I know they're in the the FA Cup final, but yesterday they had to win that game. And if it was the other way around, I think Liverpool, you know, would have played a little bit differently. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that we've played particularly poorly we've just tried to do it without expending too much energy I think the manager spent the season trying to um, find ways of getting this team to to do what needs to be done without having to be on its A game. I think I think we've seen it a few times. Then Bournemouth recently was a perfect example of that, where the, where they've done what needed to be done, but they haven't been the team that's blitzed Man City or anything like that. I think he's been because I think he knows how important it is when you get to this end of the season to have a football team that knows how to win without having to be on you know a level A the whole time. Um, and that's what I think we've been seeing, but they just haven't mastered it yet. And if it comes next season, well, we'll be in a, a very 
very, very nice position. That, that's it. I, I think we, we haven't solved that problem yet, have we? No. We, we just haven't solved that. And um... and I think that's okay. I think I mean, it's obviously not in the sense that we'd like to be in the Champions League, but I think it's okay to say we, which we're still trying yeah. to figure out how to solve that. I think within the stage of our development, it is, yeah. Mm. And we always want more as fans, don't we? We always, when we get to one stage, we're always... You know, we're impatient for the next stage to come along, but we're not going to see that until next season. But it's it, it just comes back to the idea of there's um, it makes it very important, very interesting now. I think uh, in terms of how we make the next step because this is how we make it. I think we can see you know how we how we how we uh, overcome teams when we're, we're playing at eighty percent. You know when we're just managing games, how we overcome teams, how we have a, a solution for teams that just come to defend. How yeah. we how we have how we solve those. We can't solve the referee problems I wish we could never seen and an like it this year for referees unbelievable not just against Liverpool but just the Across sheer the standard General, of refereeing yeah. my god I th- I, do you know what just on a completely separate point they have got away with murder this year because of VAR yeah. because of the media furor around VAR and, and the criticism that has had the referees have got away because I cannot remember a season of such poor refereeing um, I was looking at the referee yesterday what's his name um uh, come on. Um, Frage. Yeah, Frage. Who was referee yesterday? Um, Anthony Taylor. Anthony Taylor. Oh, yeah. Anthony Taylor. With Shaw's finest. With Shaw's finest. Who we have derided as an absolute clown in the past. And I'm sitting there yesterday going, he's probably one of the stronger ones now. And that is an indictment. <laughs> that is an indictment of the standard referee in our game. We can't change that, unfortunately. Um, but we we can change you know, our own. Um, Developments we can we can take steps to do that, but but I don't think it's a given. I think the next step, as we've seen with the developments of Liverpool teams before under under managers like Rafa, under managers like Julier, the next step actually is the hardest. I feel the next step to so the one the one to actually be, become genuine challenges and potential winners of this league. It's it's the hardest one to take, and I, I don't. I think there's always been a problem that we've not been able to overcome at this level of development under successful previous managers. We've just not taken that final step, which for me just adds that that excitement, but also that nervousness about mm-hmm. you know us making those right moves this summer and actually what we do tactically as well behind the scenes. What what's he doing in pre-season? What are, what's the thought processes there? I think. You know, when you look at Liverpool last season, towards the end of the season, they showed that they could win ugly to get over the line. Last season, we were all sitting there saying, Liverpool can't beat teams at the bottom of the league or, you know, very good against the top six and and not in the reverse. And now the season at the start of the season, and I mean, when we were able to rotate around the January, February period, Liverpool were doing the things this season, that last season, they weren't capable of doing. So they've shown that development there, I think. It's been vice versa, though, isn't it? We've taken yeah. one point away from the top six, you yeah. know, away from home. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that's encouraging about that is beyond Spurs at Wembley, I don't think you look at it and think, we've been really awful in those games, and that's why with at City it's uh, the red card to Mane and I don't think any team in this league wants to be a man down in the first half against mm. man, that Man City side um, but uh, so I think that's especially since we've shown it last season I think that's something that's quite easy to to amend I think you know when you look at the deep blocks in the in the last few games like we said at the start of the show everything that happens in April is 
painted by everything else that happens around it. The fact that, you know, like you say, we've we've had to prioritize the Champions League games and all everything happens. You know, we lose Emre at Watford, 17th of March. Lalana and Matip last play on the 31st of March. Uh, and then you lose Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at home against Roma. And then when, when that happens and you look at the reaction of all the players, I think even Klopp mentioned their reaction. Uh, they do well to obviously go on and, and blow Roma away in the first leg. But there's a... They were sad that it happened to him, but I think there was also a... Imagine it also happening to us. Imagine our team yeah. having to be without another one of us. We've already come this far and it's been so hard. So I think that, you know, that plays in the back of everyone's heads. And we need, when Liverpool have needed that extra 10% that comes so easily to them at other times in the season, as we've all seen, it's it's just, I don't think they've been able to do it in, in the last few weeks. And it is, I understand everyone's frustration that it has to go down to the last day. And obviously Liverpool would have, you know, done it differently. Um, but I think when, if we're all being honest with ourselves, sat here with, a Europe a Champions League final, playing the way we've played in that competition, needing a win at home to Brighton to secure and we're talking about development, the development we've we've done from last season to this season, even with the extra exertions, even with losing Phil Coutinho in January, even you know, given the fact that we've progressed in the competition despite being without play it without variation without you know strength and depth I think we're doing remarkably well and I think that will continue okay let's hope it does uh, Liverpool got beat by Chelsea this weekend but let's just hope that continues thank you very much to Mel to Adam to Philippa and to Stu it's been the Anfield Wrap that was the Anfield Wrap indeed, supported by Reds Bet. As I said earlier on, Reds Bet look to do special bets for Liverpool supporters uh, and they also look to share 50% of their profits for fan causes, Liverpool supporting causes and other initiatives that matter to supporters. If you do gamble, think about gambling with them. If you don't, that's absolutely perfectly understandable. Uh, but please do be gamble aware. Uh, please do gamble responsibly and please do so enjoyably. Thank you very much to Reds Bet for supporting the Anfield Wrap through 2018. Thank you very much to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Podcast Network.